Welcome to Love the Job Podcast. My name is Kevin Trapchuk. I'm your host. And today I have two very special guests with me. Uh, first is Kyle Romagus from East Montgomery County, Texas. And I also have with me Danny Dwyer, retired captain from Atlanta Fire Department. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. Doing well, man. Thanks for having us. We're down at uh, Water on the Fire 2020, and uh, we've been enjoying ourselves. This is my Absolutely. first time here, so I've been having a blast. It's a good time. Kyle's kind of took me under his wing here a little bit and kind of showing me the ropes, and Danny's been great since I met him. I, I got to pick his brain fun. a little bit. So why don't you guys give me your background real quick? Uh, Kyle, we'll start with you. Uh, 16 years in the fire service, worked for East Montgomery County. I teach on the engine cadres mm -hmm. for FD Tactics and Oath Keepers. Uh, Oath Keepers Conference in Ohio, and then FD Tactics all around the country. Um, been an engine man my entire career. Um, started uh, Engine Company Resurrection about two and a half years ago, and the whole plan is just to make the fire service better, man. I love it. That's awesome. That's good stuff. Danny? Uh, let's see. Uh, this November will be my 22nd year on the job. Uh, started out in a uh, combination suburban department just north of Atlanta in 1999. And... Uh, Outgrew it after about four years and wanted to see what else was out there. So I tried to make my way downtown, uh, eventually get into Atlanta in 03 after a cup of coffee with uh, DeKalb County. Uh, had a blast there, but I always wanted to be a city fireman. Went to Atlanta in 2005 and uh, I had a very uh, lucky career. I was assigned to some great houses, great bosses, you know, the whole nine yards. And then due to the events that happened last year and back in February, I retired in May and I am now a Backstep toilet cleaning fireman in uh, Johns Creek, Georgia. How does it feel to be back in the backstep again? It's cool. It's not bad. You know, a lot of guys, one of the guys asked me the other day, uh, he's like, man, what's it like, you know, going from running your own house to fucking being in the back? I'm like, dude, it's fucking the same thing. Like, the mission's the same. It's not, there's nothing, you know, I have very good officers there. Um, I don't feel like there would ever be any issues with, there's not any issues. So, no, it's been great. You know, zero responsibility. The buzzer goes off. I get in the back, and I space out. I don't have to worry about making calls. I don't have to worry about where we're going. I just, I'm in the back. I'm in the rear with the gear. What about running, running the line or whatever you <laughs> yeah, got to do, right? it's easy, man. That's it's awesome. It's easy. So, it's been cool. Um, it was humbling. It was it was a different uh, – I'm not going to say I didn't second-guess myself a couple times as the process was unfolding before I officially pulled the trigger, but here we are. And yeah. that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're going to talk about the incident in Atlanta because – uh, you've been on a couple other podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah. This one, obviously, I told you, man, it, it's all a go. You want to say whatever we right. want, and we got Kyle here, and we're all going to kind of just shoot the shit like firemen about this awesome. kind of stuff. So why don't you give exactly what happened? Because there's so much bullshit on, on social media, right. and people right. second-guessing and, and bad information out there. You gave us a great lecture yesterday and uh, had some really good footage on exactly what happened. And to me, that cleared that cleared up anything that I saw on social media. Yeah. Not that I didn't believe it, because obviously, you know, all Truly of us that are really married into the job, we really dug deep. And we knew we would do the same exact thing. Sure. Yeah. So why don't you give us exactly what happened? Uh, well, just from the, you know, started out like any other day. It was just, you know, it was average, you know, Thursday. I was covering the truck that day. My captain was off. Um, so the, the house I was running out of at the time, um, double company in Atlanta's engine truck. Um, so I was covering the truck myself and two drivers, a 100, I think those aerial cats are 102, 102 foot uh, TDA tractor, uh, tractor drawn aerial. Um, 
about one o'clock in the morning, we get tapped out for a house fire, reported house fire in Nines territory, which for us, we don't go there. Like, and that's what I was trying to explain yesterday. The extenuating, certain, the, the stuff that surrounded this one call is like so deep to get into. Um, but first three pieces of equipment that should have been there were all tied up on the same incident. So we had an extended response time. The first two engine was there just under, I remember if it was just under seven minutes or just under eight minutes, but it was an eternity for us. And uh, having four and a half square miles per engine company average, and then having an eight minute response time is just like that. You know, the, you can see the bad stuff piling up. You know, you're, you're trying to get there as quick as you can for the house fire. That's the reason we're all off work and you have an eight minute response time. Uh, that coupled with uh, everybody was riding three and three that night. So three on the engines, three on the trucks. Our normal staffing is four and three. Ideally, we would love to be four and four, but due to staffing issues, um, we did not have that that night. Um, so first engine arrives, uh, gave a working fire on arrival. Um, once he got through his brief initial report, did a size up thing, on his update from the 360, gave, I don't remember, I think he said yesterday we had a possible entrapment. I thought he said we had a confirmed entrapment, but his height and this captain and I had run together a long time. And his radio traffic was at a level that wasn't normal for him. He was a very seasoned guy. This was not his first fire. He's normally cool. And his he was rattled. So there was something up, which kind of stood the hair on my neck up. And we were probably about a minute out whenever um, I told the guys, like, hey, man, we got, you know, confirmed entrapment. You know, just... Not that we're not always at the same pace, but get get ready to go to work quick, you know. And I do remember, too, and I don't even think I mentioned this yesterday. I, I took my headphones off the truck, tucked my hood in, and did my collar strap. And I don't I don't ever, I always, I'm that guy, I, I just don't do my collar strap, you know, my collar flap. So um, I just kind of remember tightening things up a little bit more. And uh, we got there, had moderate fire conditions, uh, Bravo Charlie Corner, um, ended up being a kitchen fire in the rear of the home. And uh, the first three engines that arrived, the second two engine had laid out, they were burst out about five sticks of five inch and were in the process of supplying the first two piece. Um, third engine arrives on scene was assigned to RIT um, and the first truck and us arrived about 10 seconds apart. Um, first truck was assigned forceful entry. We were also assigned forceful entry and one of the comments he made was we got burger bars all the way around. And these were not your wood screw, you know, child guard gates that just like zip into the side of the window frame. These were gangster 60s, old school burglar bars that needed some saw work or some very strong guys with iron. So it was, it was a tough, um, but front door was a pretty piece of, uh, piece of cake. Uh, the captain on 25's truck made a, a, you know, made quick work of it, popped the door pretty quick, popped the interior door, pulled it back, looked at 22's like, you guys ready? And we back up in the process of this, we arrived on scene. Um, I grabbed my irons helmet BA, you know, and I told my two drivers to come meet me on the A side and we get us an assignment, which is how we operate. Um, they had to get their uh, coat, helmet, BA's tools, you know, they were in their night pants, they were in their bunker pants driving. Um, so there was a lot of questions, why weren't they fully dressed? Why were they, you know, were they dragging ass? And to dispel that bullshit that was all over, you know, a lot of people think they, they know everything or know about the incident. Um, if you can't operate that piece of equipment properly with all of your stuff on, I don't want you to wear it. I want you at least in your pants, but if you can't steer, yeah. you know, in downtown tight streets, those guys are working. The tillerman's doing some work. If he's, you know, if it's, if it's a good truck guy, a truck crew, and I had a good truck crew. So, uh, anyway, make my way up to the A side of the building. Uh, we had two members from truck 25 on the porch, two members from engine 22 on the front porch. Um, I made my way up top and, um, 
as David looks at me and tells me face to face, we need a search. We got to confirm entrapment. Hey man, no problem. I got you. And as that is happening, battalion has arrived on scene. He's getting his assignments in order and starting to hand out assignments to everybody else. So comes across the radio after he assigns 25's truck, forcible entry. And, you know, command truck 16, primary search with engine 22. Copy, no problem. At this time, my guys are still getting dressed. We had a confirmed entrapment. We've got a charge inch three quarter on the front porch and two firemen ready to go. Money. I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, as soon as I popped the door, we had really good lifts of smoke. Um, and out of all the fires I've been on where people were pulled out dead or alive, this was a really good, um, good air, good livable space, tenable space, searchable space. Like it was, it was money. It was great. We had four feet of good air. Easy. So, uh, 22s pushes in and they go straight, make the hallway and are heading towards the back left corner. I never asked them personally, but my feeling is, and I feel like I know Dave pretty well. Um, they were pushing back to extinguish the fire, get the nozzle in between the fire and the rooms. And he was probably searching out the bedrooms as the nozzle was pushing back. Um, I gave them a couple good feeds of hose from the front porch, made my way interior, dropped to a knee, wiped my face piece off, picked up my tick, took a quick scan of the room, didn't see anything initially, and I saw fire coming from, I'm looking towards the Bravo side now, we made entry on the Alpha side. Fire's coming from the seaside, down the Bravo wall, and coming around into the living room uh, through a cased opening. And so I made my way over to the living, or the dining room, excuse me, which was running the Bravo side wall, took a look down the seaside, the whole seaside's burning out. I mean, they got heavy fire involvement on the Charlie side and in that corner, which ended up being the kitchen. And I looked down and the victim's at my knees. So I was unable to get out, let them know we had a trap, you know, a grab because of some radio traffic. So I drug her about three and a half, four feet. Conditions changed rapidly. Um, I don't know if it'll ever be defined, but in my book, um, after many, many hours in a burn can and, and screwing around for years in flashovers, I'm Wonder who that could be. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Anyway, uh, whatever happened, happened. We had a hostile fire that my, my world is a flashover, and I'm probably six feet from the door at this point. Total distance was somewhere probably between twelve and fifteen feet. Well, come on in. We're live. It's okay. So anyway, uh, oh, you can announce yourself. That's all right. <laughs> We got, we got another great name in the fire service with us now. You want to introduce yourself? I can. Um, Absolutely. My name is uh, Todd Edwards, and I get the honor and the privilege to uh, teach. And I've had the honor and privilege to know Danny. I know he's in the middle of the story, so I don't want to interrupt his uh, his uh, story or not. I don't. I, I hate him calling it a story. I think uh, talking about this incident benefits. No matter if it's a small fire apartment or a major city, I think it's a true benefit to the American Fire Service that uh, Danny's sharing this story and we're able to share it with firefighters all over the country now. It's uh, truly an honor just to be a very small part of this with him. And you ran in Atlanta. You were a battalion chief down there, correct? I did uh, over 30 years with the city of Atlanta. I was a uh, lieutenant, a captain, a battalion chief, an assistant chief, and uh, managed to work my way right back down to captain. <laughs> <laughs> That takes the time. Everything happens for a reason. Everything <laughs> happens for a reason. <laughs> so you know Danny a long time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Danny, you want to continue? Yeah. So uh, anyway, flashover occurs. Get her to the front door, and again, we're talking probably twelve to fifteen feet total, straight line. There was no, you know, down the hallway, take two left, right, go up the flight of stairs. And that was a lot of things. Like, oh, he could have gotten killed. 
Sure. I could also get killed walking across, killed walking across the street from lunch 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, this was not anything that I did not feel comfortable with. This was a, again, bread and butter fire initially. The video that went viral is where all the, you know, armchair quarterbacks jumped all over it on social media because they saw the video that um, was taken from engine 22's driver that went to the dudes. That was conditions after, that's whatever happened whenever I was in the living room with her. When we got there, we had moderate smoke pushing out the A side. Um, again, good searchable space, tenable space, and then whatever happened, happened. Shit went haywire, and unfortunately, she, she succumbed to her injuries um, in the front yard, but you know, uh, thankfully, we were able to get her out of the house before it went completely sideways. So, um, after that, you know, investigation gets launched because of some hurt feelings during a critique a few days later. And um, basically, I was accused of freelancing, even though I was given a direct order, which anybody can hear the radio traffic now. We've got it in our presentation that Todd and I created. Uh, I was given primary search. I completed the primary search, threw a flash over, made the grab, got her out, and uh, but was still somehow accused of freelancing. So uh, eight or nine months goes by. I took a 48-hour rip for violating city policy, and um, that eventually led to me retiring a few years earlier than I planned on. But it was uh, it was a, it needed to happen. And I haven't told anybody this, but being leaving when I did allowed me to sit down and talk about this with you, with the other podcasts, to be down here to teach because they were not going to allow me to speak about this incident as an employee of that fire department. They were not going, they didn't want this getting out. They didn't want, they had enough bad press. They didn't need anything else getting out. So when I decided to leave, that was one of the pluses. And my wife and I sat down and did our little pros and cons. And that was a huge plus for me. I could, I, Todd and I created Mission Resurrection. We created this program. We're able to deliver this program. And that was one thing that was so disappointing. I didn't want this to get lost with that organization. We needed, there were a lot of really good things done that night. There were a lot of poor things that were done that night, but it's all something we can all learn from. And I told uh, the leader of that organization, excuse me, the person in charge of that organization, um, I would be more than willing to de develop a class if he gave me the time and the resources. I was going to lean on Todd again and be like, hey, help me, you know, we can put this on target solutions. I don't know if you guys use that for training. We can do whatever. If you don't want to bring everybody down to the drill yard and down to training, we'll at least can get delivered that way. And I offered all of that, and you know, it never went anywhere. So when I left, it did allow me to, you know, uh, come down to Pensacola and teach this class. And, you know, the, the other uh, speaking engagements we've done, and um, Todd and I started a company like two months ago, something like that. And um, he can teach and is certified to teach on a national level, like MPQ qualifications. So he's got all sorts of shit he can teach, and I just kind of hang on to the ride. Deliver this, <laughs> deliver this program and stumble and I get yelled at for talking to the PowerPoint guy. I'm still trying to get my sea legs. You know, so um, that's basically the, the the incident in a nutshell. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what led us here. And I agree, it's important to get this out because there was just so much, depending on what side of the social media you were on, you had the side like we're all on where it's like, listen, you did your fucking job right. and that's it. You know, anything, we would all do the same. Right. And you got the other side that's like, oh, wait a minute, he broke protocol and they didn't even know the whole story. Right. You know what I mean? And listen, I, I'm not saying we need to break the rules, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Right. That, if, I'm to me, if you can justify it and, and you made a grab or whatever and, it, and you had a good outcome, game on. 
know? I think I think one of the points, and and I obviously uh, Danny's done podcast. I mean, him as we were, you know, kind of putting the class together. It wasn't about bashing the fire department. I always kind of took a step back when all this really hit the fan. And, you know, I, I publicly came out on my social media platforms and supported him and everything. But if that would have been the mayor's mom, would this have happened? Was If this was the fire chief's mother trapped in that house, would would he have saw suspension and all these things? And I think the answer is no. Agreed. So where do we start placing the importance of people's lives? And, and I don't think there should be. I don't care if it's a... 98 year old woman she was important to people and that means that they should be important to us if it's a homeless person they should still be important to us and i hate that we try to we we're not in the business of putting value on somebody's life i don't care if it's a poor person a white person african-american asian i don't care that's not what they pay us to do they pay us to save lives it doesn't have to have a label to it she was a 98 year old lady who had a family people who loved her and Danny and Ninja 22 and those guys on that scene did everything they could for her. My biggest issue with this is it would have been a totally different narrative if it would have been somebody that they deemed more important than maybe this lady. And, and I think that's the saddest part of the American Fire Service. Not not the whole service, but the saddest part of this entire incident. That that should have been considered. Right. And, and, and I mean, let's be honest. If God rest her soul, if she would have lived we're not i'm not sitting here exactly we're not having this conversation mm -hmm. you know so there's only one side of the story now right and, and the thing was it was really neat um again like i talked about yesterday i happened to catch the news after this and then um fast forward to february when all the charges were levied the local news media did an interview she was really big with her church that was literally catty corner to her own and had been for 50 60 years she ran a food pantry at her house like this is a solid woman like the quintessential grandmother is what it sounds like to me. And they interviewed one of her neighbors, and the guy was like, if, if, Miss, if this would have happened to Lieutenant Dwyer, Sally would have gone in and got him. And that was cool to me. Like, she, I, I'm, I'm bummed because I would. she sounds like a super neat lady, and the captain that was assigned to nines at the, no, excuse me, shortly before this incident had been over there about eight or nine years and knew her very well and said she was just a gem of a person. Um, so he had run calls on her before and just knew her because she was very involved in the community. And again, was like a, a staple there for, she lived there since the 60s. I think she was the only owner of that house, if, I'm, if I remember right. So she had been there a very long time, was well known. So that sucks. You know, it, it is, you know, but again, this happens to the fire chief's mom, the yeah. guy that filed the charges on me. And I asked him point blank. I said, if this is your mom, what would you want me to do? Yeah. Sit there and wait? And no answer. That guy would look, yeah, wouldn't even look me in the eye. Just look down. And that's the biggest misconception out of this whole thing is you weren't freelancing. You weren't by yourself. No. You were in there with Engine 22's crew. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can clearly see that in that helmet cam video. Right. You know, we, we, we had the privilege of being here and actually get to see that whole video. Right. So you get to see that. So, but all the upper management there in Atlanta, I'm sure, saw that video at some point or knew about yeah. it. No, they don't know anything about that. Well, they do now, but they know. You know, a lot of guys have a lot of guys have helmet cams on their on their on their uh, helmets and stuff like that. But it's not, you know, it's for us. It's for the guys that love the job and buff shit. And we come back and look at them from the fires overnight as we're making shift change, and that's what we have them for. Just so happened I caught this incident, which was a, uh, you know, an unfortunate incident, but it taught it, it, you guys were able to see the fire behavior end of it. 
there's a lot to it. There was, you know, a lot on operating inside of a flow path and, and just all the things that happened were caught on film. They were caught on film on my helmet. They were caught on film by the guy that was driving 22s because he was videoing it. Again, buff. He's got the pump set and he's turning around filming the whole thing. There was a lot of stuff. This is not an incident where when I started and definitely when you started, you got to go back to a chalkboard and draw the shit out. We've got footage. We've got still, still photos, video, helmet cam, radio traffic we have access to. We had all the tools needed or necessary to put out a class and a program uh, and didn't. You know? and even even the, the driver's footage, you know, you can see that you're up there when you pulled that lady out. Everybody was up there on the course. You can see. That was the first thing I said when we were watching a video at work was, there's a ton of people up there. Where, where is he by himself? Because you could see the line battling their way out of that fire, trying to right. get out. I think that has a lot to do with a lot of the misconceptions that happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. Was that the choice that they made of the time of that video that was shown on on social media versus, and obviously they didn't have access to your footage at that time, sure. but the frame of reference that that video puts in people's mind just by seeing what they saw in that little mm-hmm. part of it. And the thing I enjoyed about your class more than anything was to be able to see from start to finish instead of that one right. piece of time. Right. And it's it, the, the class I really enjoyed most is it's about culture change and about building the culture and, and a lot less than it. I didn't expect you guys to bash Atlanta and you didn't the whole class, you know, but what I really enjoyed was that you you guys captured building the culture around the decisions that you made and why you made them. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. that Because that was, you know, one thing that he and I talked about, and I still feel the same way. But, like, when all this jumped off in February, I'm like, man, I'm not – this is not my thing. Like, I can – I've taught with him for years on the fire ground, on the drill yard, you know, some classroom stuff. This isn't my thing. I wasn't built to be speaking to 100 guys in Pensacola six months later. I've never, I never in a million years thought I'd be here. But in a lot of the conversations I had from Facebook messages to emails and stuff back in the spring, it's just like, man, you, you got the opportunity to, you know, this cultural change, like the alternate 1985 from back to the future that we're in right now is changing. And it started changing with Oath Keepers, with PDX, with all these little grassroots conventions. You got what you guys are doing in Texas. All these little grassroots things are popping up now. So just when you think it's dead, this happens and just, I hope, added fuel to the fire for y'all. For Harrisburg, for the one in New Jersey that you're going to, all these different conferences are popping up that are keeping the tradition of this job alive and not letting it go to the mutts that are doing this, you know, us before them crap. Right, yeah, for them, yeah. So you know, <laughs> I just want to make sure I had that right. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't sound right. Right, right. Yeah. It, it, it it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. I was we were talking about it yesterday. I thought it'd been like seven to ten years that that's been going on. And Todd reminded me a few months ago when we were doing the PowerPoint. It's from '04. Those life safety initiatives came out, and then you couple that with some of these programs that a lot of these chief officers are going to, and this is what's getting bashed into their heads. And at the end of the day, they're steering the ship. They're leading the organization. They're managing these people. They're creating the policies. They're enforcing these policies. Um, what they jammed me on was crew integrity, basically. I, but again, that's not freelancing. It's something else. But I, yes, I did leave the two drivers outside. You know, I, I did not leave a six-month rookie outside. And this is something else that I talked to the uh, chief about when I was getting the punishment. In Atlanta, <clears throat> our truck drivers are most of the time more of our senior guys 
Uh, Tillerman had probably 26, 28 years on and been at that station for probably 20 of them. Uh, Front-end drivers, 10 to 12 years. These are seasoned guys. Um, but what we do as an organization that is totally screwed up, um, when you're an engine boss and you get a fill-in for the day, you're going to put your guy on the nozzle because you know what the guy's capable of. Whether he's seen fire or not, that's your guy. You're going to take care of him, get him to work, and you get a fill-in that comes and fills in. And so when you're plugging in Atlanta, you're right behind the driver, and that's your job that day is to help him make the connections with that fire, whether you lay in, lay out. You're assigned to the engineer until he no longer needs you, then you go to work. And one thing I told the chief, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, you know, if I'm in trouble for leaving my guys outside, I said, when you were a boss on engine seven and you had a first two fire, you elected to lay in, to stop and drop a plug in off and drop two joints in, two sticks of five inch in hard. You expect that guy that's fresh off probation that just started filling in to make those connections, charge it, go help the engineer make his connections, then say, hey, kid, come find us when you're done. And you want a six-month-old or six-month-on kid or guy to follow a 50-foot line into a smoke-filled environment that he's never been in potentially before. That's okay. Yeah. But me leaving 40-something years of experience outside is not okay. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. And we do that daily. They do that daily. I mean, that's it's a common practice. We have the option of laying in or reversing out. Yeah. And if either one, you're down a member. You're down a person. So... That's okay. And he just, again, just stared at the floor and didn't change his mind. So. I think there has been a huge, uh, and you guys were kind of uh, grazing it on the cultural change. In 2006, Atlanta Fire Rescue had a line of duty death. Uh, Stephen Solomon was killed in a vacant crack house, um, 32 by 34. 1,152 square feet. Yeah, a nothing house. We didn't hide from... Our mistakes then and and I and I actually fought it for a minute uh, my fire the fire chief time Dennis Rubin came to me and told me he wanted a class and he wanted me to start delivering that program in 48 hours and I was against it I thought it was too early but immediately after Stephen was taken to the burn unit before he passed away rumors started and the fire chief said we're gonna have all these rumors we got to stop this now and he was so I, I he couldn't have been more right and we started doing the training and we accepted the good and the bad and the ugly of that night. And we trained every Atlanta firefighter had to come to the house where Stephen was killed and walk the house, saw exactly what those guys were seeing. Then we opened it and we had guys from every Metro department come to that house. And we did that for six solid months. That's all I did for six months. My day shift was always at that house teaching. And then we roll the clock forward now, and when we make mistakes now, we bury our heads in sand or we start punishing people. Instead of accepting and sharing the information, what he did wasn't wrong. We had a lot more wrong with Steven than we did with what went on with Danny's rescue. But we stepped up to the plate, accepted the responsibility, and made sure our, our firefighters, our, our captains, our lieutenants, our chiefs learned from that. Now we're hiding from mistakes. I, I give all the credit to the world to fire chiefs who step up to the plate and say, here's what we did great, and here's where we screwed the pooch on. Here's where we're going to make our damn improvements. And we didn't do that in the scenario. And I thought Danny's points, we could he could have wrote an entire class, and we could have trained, or he could have trained the entire organization. And everybody could have benefited from flow path, searching, how we do our truck companies, you know, 
if, if you're mad about the truck company, give us four guys on a truck instead of three yeah. on a tiller truck. Mm-hmm. Then Danny's in there with a guy instead of his guys having to dress out. It was the most insane shit I'd ever heard because I'd done it as a captain. My two guys knew to come find me. He, they knew I was going to make search with the engine every time because nothing happened. Nothing ever and, got said. And that's a common practice across the U.S. I mean, it, that's course, not like that, that. That's not like it's just in Atlanta. I mean, that right. happens. That happens where I work. Mm-hmm. Sure, it happens where you work. Absolutely. I mean, it's the way things are. Yeah. I mean, nothing's textbook. I mean, right. and that's the worst part about like gifts manual, which Kyle, mm-hmm. you and I have been having conversations about that <laughs> all in itself, and getting that shit changed because it, that's just unrealistic. Well, and a lot of the things that's in there. I need to get with Lou from uh, uh, Refrano from the. The getting salty guys because he he nailed it. We were on the phone uh, prior to the podcast with them. He just as simply as you can put it, he goes. Sometimes you got to make a move. Mama, we might put that on a shirt if he's okay with that. Because that's the <laughs> easiest way to explain it. Like you know, this isn't your brand new guy that just came out of proby school. This isn't a guy that you know. These are these are seasoned guys that should be assigned to trucks. And this is what we're paid to do. And if you're not prepared to do it, you know, find something else to do. And that's not going to happen. I mean, that's in a perfect world, but. It's so just a strange. You're a big guy. How tall are you? Six four. So a hook and look for you is six foot four inches into the building. Right. So you force the door on the truck crew by yourself. Is a hook and look against protocol? I mean, is that <laughs> is that freelancing? You get caught. You know. I mean, and, and that was the thing. It's like, what if what if on the walk around, the captain his his only guy is stretching the line. What if she's hanging out a window? What if she is in the window and drops, and he goes in and gets like what? We can what if the shit out of it. But yeah, I mean, we teach VES to the to the recruits. Yeah. We teach the guys. We practice that, sort of. Um, it's a little bit different for us just because of time frame and construction that we're, we're not necessarily banging ladders, diving in windows. It just, the way, the because of the close, I guess because of territories and how tight everything is, like we're we're through the front door in no time flat. Yeah. You know, but we do we do have some stuff that you can better search, no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, we teach that. So, but again, it's just like, if, again, sorry, not sorry, if feelings hadn't gotten hurt, yeah. this, that's, that's all this boils down to. For sure. This yeah. Egos down. made decisions. Yeah. And had, had you entered that building sad. by yourself completely, I would think the word freelancing would have more of a weight than entering that building with the engine company. It just right. blows my mind. And that was the thing. It's like, i Am I aggressive? Sure, but I'm not. After this long on the job, I'm not stupid. I don't think anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, I, shit's <laughs> shit's gonna, it depends <laughs> on what circles you're running. But like, you know, you got to take every situation case by case. But nobody wants to go home to my family more than I do. Yeah. I'm I'm going to put myself in between that victim and the bad shit every time, as long as I know that we're coming out. Like sometimes you got to make that shit call that it's just not it's not winnable. You know, we're behind the eight ball every fire as it is. You're just trying to stay a little bit less far behind. Yeah. You know, so you're trying to just trying to keep up. And I'm not going to go put myself in harm's way knowing that I'm not coming out of that. Yeah. No, I don't want to die in a one-story frame in southwest Atlanta. That is not on my bucket list at all. You know, but I also have a responsibility morally, ethically, and just as a human freaking being to – that's what I'm paid to do. It's what we all want to do. We want to protect these people. And I'll do that. And that the I think the final straw that day was like, look, I gotta get up and look at myself in the mirror every morning. Yeah. And you can ch- write write me up, put charges on me, whatever, but I can go to bed with a clean soul. 
And, you know, I, I would never be able to live with myself if I had waited. And either, you know, I didn't, you know, contrary to popular belief, I didn't see her from the door. Um, I saw her when I got to her. But if I'd have waited there and just been like, ah, and you know, like we were talking about the other day, shit's an eternity when stuff's, yeah. and, when those high, freaking, whatever you want to call them, events, they're, you know, shit's moving slow, but moving really fast. Those high stress situations. Yes, there yeah. you go. I, I could not have sat on that porch for another 60 to 70, 80 seconds and waited for them and then come to find out we find her on overall. I would never, I would, it makes me sick to think about it. And that's happened. It's happened in that organization. It's happened in other organizations. I mean, sometimes it's unavoidable, but this was not one of those situations. Well, we're in a culture right now that BES is getting pushed all across the country. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we what are we doing with VES? Half the time it's on a short staff crew, it's one person going in right. and coming right back out. I mean Well, I think if you look across the entire landscape of the American Fire Service, there's more departments that are arriving on scene with eight guys. Not every department's blessed to have thirty guys to throw at a house fire. Not in no you know, very few departments in the country besides, you know, your LA's, your Chicago's, your FDNYs can throw seventy five guys on the scene in a few minutes. Most departments are throwing eight to ten guys that are stretching lines, DES and doing primaries, and are successful or making grabs. If you look at the data, there are made, there's grabs being made every day, and it's not always by the FDNYs. There's departments and places you've never heard of making legitimate grabs by being aggressive and knowing their damn jobs. I can reference up in my area, Harrisburg City. Mm -hmm. Those guys have, and I was telling you, Danny, mm -hmm. I think the other day on what their staffing actually actually is, and you were it's like, "Nuts, whoa!" But they're <laughs> making grabs, yeah, every month, yeah, and that's and, the thing. And they're and they're fighting a lot of fire and putting a lot of fire out mm -hmm. with twelve guys on a shift, thirteen guys on a shift. Mm -hmm. It's a different mindset. Like we were very fortunate in Atlanta. We sent three engines, three trucks, two chiefs, and a heavy rescue on two stories or above, or multiple structures or entrapment. We got another seven, eight guys in the squad. So we overwhelmed it with people, which I thought, you know, when I, we had just went to three and three from three and two about the time I came on the job. We added that extra truck. And Ruben was like, we're just going to overwhelm it with people. Am I not, am I right? Yeah, so no, you're that, like, right. that was our plan. It's just, you just got to overwhelm the incident with boots on the ground. That's yeah. it. Um, but something Eric hit on earlier today, you know, regardless of what you arrive on or what you ride to that call, truck shit still has to get done. Right. It doesn't matter if you come on a freaking rescue, yeah. on a ladder, on an engine, on a freaking ambulance. Searches have to be have to get made. Forcible entry has to get done. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you come on. Mm -hmm. The work has to be done. The searches have to be done. And you know that that to me is you know says a lot about these other departments that are running with eight guys on a call. Like yeah. I did that years and years ago. It's, I'm living that life right now. You know we are. Yeah. Manpower limited and task saturated. And I think one of the most, one of the biggest drawbacks of your incident in particular is the ability of an incident like this to put in guys' head doubt. Without you being able to travel the country and tell your side, I think that doubt would, it would be heavier on guys. Mm -hmm. But now that everybody has the ability to hear your side of the story, I think it's very beneficial and will fight that doubt. Right. You know, that am I going to lose my job if, I'm, if I try to keep my oath? You know, and you kept your oath and, and here you sit, you know, the consequences of that and, and talking to you the last couple of days, you wouldn't have made a different decision if no. it happened tomorrow. Right. You know, and that's what separates guys, some guys in the business, unfortunately, but those guys that don't have that mindset when they leave the house in the morning, 
situations like this, unfortunately, may end up causing doubt with some of those guys. And that was – we didn't really touch on it yesterday, but, you know, when we were talking – this is a decision-making class. Yeah. And there's one kid, I won't say his name on the podcast, but I remember looking at him at the critique. I never met this guy. I never had seen this kid before. He's a young man that works um, in Atlanta for one of the companies that responded. He wasn't there that night, but he was working at his company the day of the critique. And I remember looking at him as I'm being berated. And I remember looking over at the kid, I'm like, what is he thinking right now? Yeah. Is he thinking what I did was right? Is he thinking what I did was wrong? And how is this going to affect the decisions he makes in three or four years when he's riding up or he makes a lieutenant? What is every officer in that department thinking right now? I'm not going to say that. But there's a lot of things now that are going to change for those guys. And all of my friends, our friends, still work for that organization. They're there. They have no other choice. They're not leaving. They've got five to 30 years left. You know, we trained a lot of those guys and gals. And it's like, you know, now what? What are they going to do? Are they going to throw it on the line and risk having to retire early or quit or be potentially terminated or suspended for doing what they know is right. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be the highest trained badass fireman to do this. It, it's just being a human being and, and, and remembering what they gave us all kinds of nice shit to wear a BA, some really nice gear that keeps you, this bad shit off of you. Go to work, yeah. go, go put yourself, protect those people. And I, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed and worried for those guys. There's, there's no other way to put it. Yeah. You know. So. Hey, uh, guys, I uh, promised my wife that uh, I haven't it's seen her since we here. So. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, just allowing me to put in my two cents, and uh, like I said, just the uh, uh, the opportunity to to clarify, you know, if that happened, clarify some of the rumors, and uh, I, I wish we could force feed podcasts like this to every fire chief across the country and, and, and there's fire chief and then there are some incredible unbelievable bosses out there right now and there's some i mean there's some at this conference this week that i see here all the time and they go back and they they believe in everything that's you know being said and being taught and they share that and those are the departments you go back and look at and they're the ones that you read about doing the job and doing it right and you don't they see other people yeah and it's it's not as hard as that we're making it. It really we we make this job a hell of a lot more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. Absolutely. So your guys' company is Mission Resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, sir. So is this class going to be able to be taught anywhere across the country? Like, yes. Are you guys going to go across the country with this? Yeah. So we're we're, uh, we're pretty solid right now, and then I think it's gonna it might get legs here soon. I hope. You know, yeah. we'll, 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 uh, we'll make sure we put that information in with this podcast. That way they can get a hold of you guys. Right on. Awesome. And, uh, cause I, Kyle, what do you think? I mean, I thought that was a great class. I thought it was fantastic, man. And I think it's very beneficial. And like I said, the, the culture of why you made the decision is the most important part of that class mm -hmm. is to, is to, and like you said, I mean, it kind of gets lost in the nostalgia of, of Danny would go, mm. you know, when they, when they sign up for this class, away. but the, <laughs> I got stickers, <laughs> but yeah, the, you're yeah, absolutely we'll correct. The class is about decision-making. Right. It's about decision-making in stressful, in stressful times. And, and, and that's one thing that I discovered. I was, I was deep in some podcasts and some serious reading um, after this incident because I didn't know why I did what I did. I mean, let's, Face it, it is what is we do fireman shit. I yeah, I get that, but you know I didn't have. I got one. 
Thanks. <laughs> but I didn't for months, if you can believe that. Um, you know, I'll talk to you guys. I'm on see man. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Uh, you know, I didn't know why I made that decision. And then it got, uh, there's a woman, if you guys get a chance, um, Judy Glick-Smith, uh, psychologist, lives in Atlanta, and wrote a book called Flow-Based Leadership. But, you know, when you're going through recruit school and, or you're teaching now, as you guys probably are teaching your recruits and you grind this stuff into their head over and over and over again, it's about repetition, muscle memory. That way, at one in the morning when you were in a dead sleep six minutes beforehand, you don't think, you just act, you operate, you are in that flow state. And I had not, I'd heard of her book. Um, she's got a lot to do with a friend of mine's uh, program. But I didn't know enough about it, so I reached out to her on Facebook. I read her book. I'm like, okay, this all makes sense now. And you just get into this like, just get into this flow state. I didn't have a checklist to go down. I guess maybe I did somewhere back in the way back dark spot parts of my brain. You know, I obviously sized everything up and had, but I don't remember actively doing it. You know, it's just like get there, gone. When you're married to a job, you don't. You right. just, you know, you know, and that goes back to your, like you said, muscle memory. Right. And, like that. You know, when you're talking to recruits about the repetition and why you're doing this over and over and over again, it is for that reason exactly, in my opinion. You know, Agreed. it's that muscle memory and just cranking that shit over and over and over so you don't think about it, you just do. Well, we talk about, you know, saving time on the, on the, on the scene, you know, we're talking about saving seconds. That's saving seconds. You know, all Absolutely. the hard work you put in on the drill ground is going to save seconds on fire. Ground. Sure. That's the way I look at it. And who else better to make a decision like that than an experienced truck captain that was given him the assignment? Yeah. You know, no, that's, we uh, stress it to everybody on the job that we want you to be independent operators. You want you to be independent operators, make smart, confident decisions. Right. And be I believe you thinker. made one yeah, that day. I appreciate it. I, I, and I think mostly that's the, that seems to be the going thing. You know, and, and I can't think, you know, I haven't actually been able to say this for, for everybody that's friend requested me on Facebook. I am so sorry. I haven't gotten to all of them, but I love you guys. I love the support, the Facebook messages, but my news feed's filled up with people's kids and shit. I don't even know now. But no, the support has been unbelievable. I mean, I, I, when we came down last week, I was driving down here from Atlanta and I'm like, man, I wonder, you know, how many people are going to show up? How many people are going to be interested in this class that we're delivering? This was and you guys have been in the business long enough. Shit's, you know, you got the flavor of a minute. Like it's it's here and gone. This has been this has been a dead issue in the media, I guess, since probably February, March. Um, social media it still was it was rolling pretty good. Um, but I wasn't sure, you know, and to come down here six, eight months, six, seven months later, and people are still aware of it, dude, it's been it's been wild and it's been very humbling and it's super cool to have I never in a million years would have thought I've been in this position. You know, buy some, you know, some one incident, you know, so, uh, but yeah, man, the support's been great. I thank everybody for it. It's been awesome. I think your story is very important. It needs to be heard because a lot of people think that we have lost our ability to put the citizen first. And it's, it's very refreshing to hear that there are still those out there that keep their oath. Well, if you guys are doing it, you're doing it with this podcast, you're doing it with your pages and your teaching and stuff like that, and they cannot kill us all. Yeah, they can try. <laughs> they can try. They might shoot one or two, yeah. but oh, they yeah. ain't going to kill everybody. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, that's going to lead us into later, maybe later on today or tomorrow with Kyle here. I'm down, man. Um, yeah, we were yeah. assassinated. Yes, you're assassinated. <laughs> I love that we got, we got to get shirts made that say we got priors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Hashtag. 
Yep. We have priors. I have a t-shirt business. I'll make it happen. <laughs> Perfect. I'll make it that's happen. That's great. Oh. I love it. And, and that's the thing is we got to grow this group of people. Right. You know, because I can remember I'm I'm the youngest guy at this table by far. I'm not saying you guys are old. I'm just oh, the youngest. <laughs> I'm 34, so I'm yeah, definitely the youngest awesome. guy here. Um, but I can tell you when I came in, took essentials and all that stuff, that was back 2001. Mm-hmm. Um that was the culture. Oh, we're we're number one. You know, sure. Everything's number two after after us, and it's like, no, that's, that's, weird. that's yeah. like I remember going home and telling my dad, who my dad my dad was a uh, paid fireman, and I told him that stuff, and he's like, what? Yeah. And he came up in the the seventies and the eighties when shit was burning all the time. Right. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's that's not how that goes. Yeah. You know, so there, and you're seeing the the shift. Yeah. Because you got conferences like this one. And PDX and, and what you guys are doing down in Texas, you know, and it's awesome. And then an incident like like he said, an incident that you had, how unfortunate it was the what ended up happening to you. I think the greater good's going to come out because now you're going to be able to share this story across the country and really get the word out and motivate people right. to be better. Yeah. And that's what I hope. And, and you know, like I said yesterday, I, I, I'm pretty sure I stole it from somebody, but there was a post on Facebook a couple of days ago with a little Top Finder sticker. And everybody's got this whole close before you doze thing and, you know, shut your door so you can stay in savable space and, you know, this and that. Don't fucking tell these people you're coming to get them when you're not. When you're not prepared and you haven't checked your BA off that morning, you're not you're not drilling and preparing to make that rescue. Stop telling people to close the door that we're coming when you're not and you don't have any intention to. And that really hit home with me. I was like, man, that's freaking solid. I don't know who made that. If you're listening, thank you. But that's that's. That's it's it, true man. Shit. Simple. Yeah, yeah. That's you absolutely true. You, that, you don't get any any tighter than that. That's it. Absolutely. You know, so, so I, I want to thank both you guys for coming yeah. on. I would, Kyle, Kyle and me are going to do another one here probably tonight or tomorrow. We talk about uh, he does exist. He is yeah. here. Yeah. He's he not been completely assassinated physically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah. he is here, and, and we'll get into that story on the next podcast here. But Danny, Kyle, thank you guys for coming Thanks, on, buddy. and. Uh, Let's go back to we're, we're still we still got class going on, so we're gonna head back down. That's to class. right. Uh, yes, yes. DJ so, Stone and Shannon are downstairs kicking it. That's yep. it. Thank All you right, guys. See you.